Well, let me, let me first start by, by saying I misled you. Uh, in the bulletin, it says Mark 4, 1 through 20. Uh, this may be good news to you. This may be bad news to you. We're actually going to be Mark 4, 1 through 34. Okay, so we're, we're going to be looking at, at 34 verses. Um, you know, when I, when I made this, when I broke this schedule up, I, 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 I looked at it and said, yeah, saw what other people were doing and, and made, made some decisions. Um, this week, this passage really is one unit, and I think we can do justice by looking at it together. The good news is that the more verses I have, the, the less time I have to spend on each verse, and so I have to be very precise. Uh, and so I have. I've worked hard to be as clear and precise as possible. And so we're going to get through, Lord willing, verses 1 through 34. Now we're going to read it. If, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, a red one in front of you. Um, and when we start, it's going to be page 814 is where our passage is going to start. Um, but again, let me, let me say this again. If you don't have a Bible, if you see one of these laying around, pick it up. It's yours. You can have it. Um, we, we want everyone to have a Bible uh, that they can read and understand. Maybe you have an old one that, you know, an old KJV that doesn't make sense to you. Have one of these. Um, and if you, if you have that, our, our passage will begin on 489. But uh, we'll read that in a second. But here's, here's what I want to do at the outset. This is important, every passage that, that you study, but especially this passage, we, we have to understand the context. And so I, I kind of want to set the context, because to understand, it's, if you've read this before, it's, it can be confusing. Okay? But what I'm going to say is, understanding the context really helps us understand what's going on, and, and I think, hopefully, gives you a better understanding of the passage. And so as we move into chapter 4, we're, we're going to enter in, in these 34 verses, Jesus is teaching. So this is his parables. He's teaching in parables. We're going to see... I think five parables, three that are parables, and then three that are two that are kind of just sayings. But as, as we encounter Jesus' teaching, we do so coming from chapter 3. And if, you, if you've been with us, you know uh, what we've seen. We're coming off of, of a, um, last week especially, but, but really the past couple weeks, where the opposition to Jesus is beginning to rise and so we've seen specifically the scribes have emerged as these fierce opponents of Jesus and his ministry. Okay, so, so we've seen they, they refuse to believe what Jesus says about himself. They refuse to believe what Jesus does, his, his miracles. They refuse to believe. They, they, they're not listening to the Son of God. In fact, they set out on a path. They endeavor to silence him and even, even to kill him, as we saw a few weeks ago. And so we see the, the, this opposition, this group of the scribes rising. But even last week, at the end of chapter 3, we saw that it's not just the scribes who, who are opponents seeking to, to prevent the ministry of Jesus, but last week you saw his own flesh and blood, his, his biological mother and brothers did not understand his ministry. And they sought to, to come, come back, you're out of your mind, you've got to rest. And so we've seen this, this opposition rising that is based on a misunderstanding of who Jesus was And so we saw this opposition rising, but we also saw last week that, that there's this, this uh, inclusion or this support rising. So Jesus calls 12 disciples and says, you're going to be my disciples and, and you're going to go be, be arms and legs of my ministry. And at the end of chapter 3, he redefined family and it says, it's not my biological family that, that, I'm, that I'm here that are my family, but it's those who do the will of God. And so he redefines this family. So we see these, this opposition and then this support and, and that's the context as, as we're coming. And so what I'm, ar- I'm going to argue that Mark is doing is he's intentionally developing these two groups, these two categories of people. And here's how we're going to think about them today. And, and in fact, we'll see in our text, it's described this way, but there's the outside group 
And there's the inside group, the, the opposing group and the supporting group. And so those outside, the scribes, the family members, those who misunderstand the life and ministry of Jesus. And on the inside, we have the 12 or, or others who are following him for the right reasons, those who receive the message. Okay, so it's outside and inside. And the point that, that I want to make at the outset, outset is that what determines whether you're outside or inside is how you perceive the ministry of Jesus. So whether you're outside or inside is determined by what you see going on in the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay, so, so we've got that said. There's outside, inside, and it's all dependent on what's going on around Galilee with these miraculous healings and teachings. So with that in mind, with those categories, let, let's read our passage. Mark 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 34. So beginning in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And, he so and as he sowed, some seed fell along path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. They, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Verse 21, and he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest." nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up, and it becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, are you serious? Are we going to look at all of those verses? Yes, we are. Um, So here, we're going to move through them. I've broken the text down into three sections. And so if you're taking notes, here here are the sections of the first section, verses 1 through 20. We see a kingdom of effectual hearers. Then verses 21 through 25, the the second section is a temporarily hidden kingdom. And then thirdly, verses 26 through 34, we see a kingdom that grows. And so all of these, the point of this passage, the point of this teaching is is to, to show us the nature of the kingdom. And so all this has to do with the nature of the kingdom. Let's, let's look first at verses 1 through 20, a kingdom of effectual here. So, so chapter 4 begins by recounting what, what's coming to, to become a very common scene. He's teaching beside the sea, and a great crowd is gathering around him. And so the crowd is gathering, and, and he decides, I've got to get in a boat, presumably to get away from the crowd. So he's in the boat, and he begins teaching there, and the crowd's on the, on the shore listening to him. And so beginning in verse 3, Jesus begins what what is his first recorded parable in the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark records this parable, and then helpfully for us, Mark records Jesus' explanation of the parable, so that we're not really left in the dark. And so notice how he begins the parable. This is important. At the outset, look at verse 3, how he begins. Do you see the first word that Jesus says? It's an imperative. Listen. Listen to this. If you have the KJV, it's, it's hearken. Pay attention. And then, then skip all the way down to verse 9, and notice how Jesus ends the parable. He who has ears, let him hear. And so at the parable, at the front and the back, we're immediately aware that, that this parable is about listening. It's about, about hearing. Now, it's, just, it's not just about hearing in the sense of, hey, I'm talking, listen to me, but it's a deeper sense listen to me. All of my teachings, all of my parables, my entire ministry is about listening and understanding. So, so listen. Listen carefully. And so Jesus tells the parable and then explains what it means to listen. So that's what the parable is about, listening. And so notice verse 3. Here's the parable. A sower goes out. It's not, it's not a, a needle and thread sower. This is a farmer, a sower, that's going out. It's an agricultural picture, and that picture runs all the way throughout. But the sower, he wants to grow some grain. And so he's going to go out. He's going to cast seed indiscriminately, just walking through the fields, throwing seed. Verse 4, Jesus says, some of it falls on hard path. I mean, this is the path right down the middle of the field where everyone walks. And so this is hard. The surface, there's no way for the seed to get down. It's been walked on by everyone. It's rock hard, and the seed doesn't get down. So the birds, free food, come down and eat it. Verse 5, this other seed falls on rocky ground. So here's some, some other soil. It has ability to, to take root, but the roots can't go deep. It's rocky soil. And so it grows up immediately. It's pretty impressive until, verse 6, the sun comes up, roots aren't deep, and it's scorched, and it dies. Verse 7, other seed falls among thorns. And so this isn't a necessarily a th- soil problem. It produces growth. But the issue is, what else is growing in that soil? 
And so the issue is, is there's thorns that are growing. And, and so the, the grain is growing up with the thorns, and the thorns choke out the grain. Hence, it, it dies. It's choked out. And then lastly, verse 8, some other seed falls into good soil. No thorns. It's not rocky. It's good soil. And it produces. It grows up, and it increases, and it yields 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Picture of, of an abundant harvest. This, this last soil produces it's not so much about the 30, the 60, the 100. The fact is, this soil produces. And so that's the, 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 that's the parable. And then, then Mark moves into verses 10 through 12. And before we look at that, let me ask you a question. The parable that, that you've heard me read and you've heard me just explain, let me ask you a question. How many types of soil are there? How many types of soil are in this parable? Now think carefully. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many, of, how many of you would say that there's four types of soil? Don't raise your hand. I'm sure some of you are thinking that, right? There's a, the path, there's the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and there's the good ground, four. Now, it makes sense, and, and that, that, that's, that's true, but I don't think that's the point of the parable. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to say, look, there's four different types. Rather, I want to argue that the point is that there's only two types of soil. There's only two types of soil. If you thought two, talk to me afterwards, okay? We need to send you to seminary. But here's the point. Here's the point. The two types of soil, now follow me. There's unproductive soil and there's productive soil. Those are the only two types, and I think that's the point. So, so we have unproductive soil, soil that does not produce grain. So under that category, there's what? There's the path, the rocky ground, and the thorny ground. There's three examples of unproductive soil. On the other side, there's productive soil. And guess how many examples of productive soil there are? There's three. There's productive soil that produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. And so there's parallelism. There's unproductive, and there's productive. There's only two types. And so in the bigger picture of Mark's gospel, I think that when Jesus is telling this, these two types of soil, productive, or was this side unproductive and productive, they represent the two groups that are forming in Mark's gospel. Those on the outside would be the unproductive soil, and those on the inside would be productive. And so what Jesus is saying is, is those on the inside are productive. They receive the word, and they have the key to understanding. And it's not this mystical key that they have. It's simply they, they, they recognize Jesus as the promised one. They recognize he's the one who has come to bring the kingdom. And so his word is productive in them. They say, yes, of course it makes sense because he is the Messiah. And those on the outside, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who refuse to believe Jesus, they, they don't understand. They're unproductive. The word doesn't produce among them. So these are two groups. And so, so to continue that thought, look at verse 10. Look at verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. What's this all about, Jesus? And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So, so even there in verse 11, do you see the groups that are distinguished? He says, to you has been given. Well, who's the you? It tells us right there in verse 10. He was alone with those around him and the 12. So that's what he's talking to. To you has been given the secret. 
Like I said, the secret, it's not this mystical thing. It's simply you've been given the understanding that Jesus is who he says he is. And so you understand, but notice how verse 11 continues. But for those where? Outside, everything is in parables. Now, now notice, what is in parables for those outside? Is it simply, but, but for those outside, all of my teachings are in parables. Is that, what, is that what Mark says? Is that what Jesus says? You see there in verse 11, but for those outside, what, outside what is in parables? Everything. Everything is in parables for those on the outside. So for those outside, it's not just the teachings that, that don't make sense, but nothing about Jesus makes sense to them. Those on the outside have, have blinded eyes and dulled ears when it comes to Jesus. So they don't see the Messiah, the one who's brought the kingdom. They just see a disturbing enigma, someone who has to be silenced, opposed, ridiculed. And why, second question about verse 11 is, is why is everything in parables? This is where, where you see indented, hopefully in your Bible, which tells you this is a quotation of the Old Testament. But the word, words read that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now let's think about that. Hopefully that, that's confusing to you. Because as it reads, just, just on surface, as it reads, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I'm telling parables in order to prevent people from receiving forgiveness. That's how he answers it. It's, everything's in parables so that they don't see and don't understand, because if they did, they would turn and be forgiven. And so as Jesus begins teaching in parables, we have to ask, well, well what's the context? What's going on? Are his parables going to confuse those to the point that they miss his message? And so let's back up and ask, who are those on the outside? Right? It's those who refuse to believe, the scribes, the Pharisees. And, and so the question that we ask is, the, the, is Jesus, are Jesus' parables going to confuse them? They're not. Why? Because they're already confused. They've already refused to believe what he says. They've seen miracles. They've heard teachings. They refuse. And so the, the parables aren't to, aren't to confuse them, but rather they are a sign of confirmed confusion. So simply I'm preaching parables. They don't understand. It's just going to prove to them even more that they don't understand. They're outside. And so he's not telling to confuse them. They're already confused. And the source of their confusion is, is their unbelief, their refusal to take Jesus at his word. Their unbelief, says one commentator, makes every phase of Jesus' mission a riddle, something wholly alien to the perspective of man. Now you can, you can, you can if you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 6, because this is where the quotation comes from. And so maybe you're familiar with Isaiah 6. There's this majestic call where, behold, in the, the year King Uzziah, Uzziah, King Uzziah died. Okay, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And, 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 and so Isaiah was commissioned. Who will go? Well, I'll go. And Isaiah was, was commissioned to preach to an unfaithful people. That was his whole commission. God said, I'm going to send you to preach to hard-hearted blind, deaf people. They're not going to get it. And so his preaching 
did not confuse the, the people of Israel at that time. They had already rebelled. They were already hard-hearted. So his preaching confirmed their rebellion. And in a similar way, I'm arguing that Jesus' parables serve the same purpose. They confirm the unbelief of those outside. And so then, having laid all of that, we're able to, to move through Jesus' explanation, verses 13 through 20, pretty, pretty quickly, pretty easily. Jesus explains the parable, and simply, the, the only point I'll make is, is that Jesus explains that, that his word is faced with lots of opposition. There's always going to be opposition. And so, disciples, don't be afraid when you're sowing the word and there's opposition. It's always going to be opposed. And, and he actually lists Satan, tribulation or persecution, and, and pleasures of the world and the promises of riches. These are all things that are opposing the word taking root. And so in every example of unproductive soil, the soil is unproductive because the listener, the one who receives the word, doesn't listen carefully, doesn't, doesn't pay attention, doesn't hear. And so hence Jesus' emphasis, listen. It's as if Jesus is saying, be good soil. Listen. And so he ends his explanation, verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Productive, 30, 60, 100 fold. In other words, those that hear and understand are the ones who accept and bear fruit. And so the kingdom is full of effectual hearers, those who, who hear the word and the word works in them. It's a productive listening. And so before moving on to, to our second section, let me just make a point of application. First, if you're here not a Christian this morning, this, I think this parable addresses you directly. I hope you hear me saying that there are two types of people. There's two types of hearers. There's, there's the unproductive listener and there's the productive listener. If you're hearing out a follower of Jesus, I would simply ask you, how do you hear? What do you think about the life and ministry of Jesus? What do you think about the message that Jesus came to proclaim? How does it sound to you? Can I tell you, friend, that Jesus has come to establish the kingdom. He has come as the one the promised one sent by God to establish the kingdom. God in flesh. His words evidence that fact. His, his actions evidence that fact. Mark's gospel, as we're reading it, evidence that fact. And so I'd simply ask you, non-Christian, will you continue in your unbelief? Will you continue? Will you continue to refuse to accept the claims of the promised one, the Messiah, let me just warn you, you do so to your own detriment. Those who listen well, those who accept the word, they are, they are welcomed. They are members of the kingdom. They, they are part of God's family received through Jesus. And that's, that's open to you. Listen to Jesus. If, if you refuse to, you're excluded. You're on the outside. And apart from turning from your unbelief, you will remain on the outside eternally. And so, friend, I implore you, trust, listen, hear. This, this, this Messiah comes and offers you hope, life, forgiveness. Listen. Well, also, if you're here and you're a Christian, I think the application for us is, is hold fast to the word. Though times are different, we're, we're certainly familiar with the opposition that's illustrated by this parable, aren't we? The opposition that, that often co coincides with the sowing of the word. 
whether it's Satan taking the word or, or tribulation and persecution that, that reveal a lack of depth or, or cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, other things that we desire that, that chokes out the word. All these cases, they illustrate unproductive soil and, and none of those examples heed the exhortation to listen. And so Christian, beware of the opposition Beware of the temptations that are, that are, that are ever-present as we, as we receive the Word and as we sow the Word. Be aware of it. But most importantly, hold fast to the Word. Believer, hold fast. Where else can you go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Hold fast to the Word. Be good soil. Well, let, let, let's continue. Point number two, we see a temporarily hidden kingdom. So, so we move to verses 21 through 25. And so, so let's think about the context. So as, we, as we look at verse 21, think about the context and, and what he's just said about the parable of the sower. So one of the points that we establish, hopefully that, that you agree with, is that there's a lot of people on the outside. Okay, as Jesus is carrying out ministry, there's people on the outside. There are those who don't get it, who refuse to accept the testimony of Jesus. And one legitimate question could be, or, or should be, that should arise from this reality is simply why? Why is the kingdom hidden? Why aren't people getting it? I mean, of all the messages, shouldn't this one be clear as day? I mean, isn't this a message that people should get? Why would God keep the message hidden? I mean, is, is there a purpose for this secrecy? And if you look at verse 21, Jesus anticipates this question and he answers it, and he answers it by asking a question of his own. Let's look at 21. As, as he transitions, he says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bed? Or is a lamp brought in to be put on a stand? So what's the answer to the question? Is a lamp brought into a house to be, to be hidden? Is that the purpose that you bring a lamp inside? No. Right? A rhetorical question with a clear answer. No, that's not the purpose of a lamp. In the same way, Jesus has come not ultimately to be hidden, but to be revealed. So I think Jesus, either Jesus or his message is, is the lamp here, and the purpose of the lamp is not to be hidden, even if it's temporary, it's not ultimately to be hidden, but to be revealed. In other words, the current hiddenness of Jesus' ministry was purposeful. That's what he's telling him. There's a purpose to this, to people not getting it. And that's, that's the point, I think, of verse 22, the second half. It's only a secret so that it can come to light. Which sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's a secret only so that it can then come into the light. Why hide something in order to reveal it? Why, why make something a secret in order to expose it? I agree, it sounds contradictory, but, but consider this. I mean, you remember the, the primary opponents of Jesus and his ministry thus far, right? Primarily, there have been a number, but, but the, the face of opposition so far in Mark's gospel have been the scribes. Okay, so we'd say the scribes are those who, who oppose Jesus and and we could then infer that they are the ones from whom the secret is hidden, right? They're the ones who they don't, they don't get it. They refuse to believe that the kingdom is present in the life and ministry of Jesus. And as they continue to miss the point, as the reality behind the life and ministry of Jesus continues to be hidden from them, what, what happens to them? How, how do they respond to Jesus? Do they, they say, oh, well, what a, what a swell guy. I'll keep listening to him. Is that what the continued ministry of Jesus produces in them? You remember back in chapter 3, verse 6, what they wanted to do? They want to kill him. And so as this ministry continues, okay, 
they refuse to accept it and they get angry. They, they hate him. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him. And eventually, do you know what happens? They do. They do kill him. That's a spoiler alert. If you haven't read the end of the story, this story is going to end with the main character being crucified. And so, these opponents kill Jesus. And it appears from all onlookers that that the opponents have won. They've silenced him. Until, right, this this is the Christian hope, until three days later, he gets up from the grave. A man that was dead is now alive, and and he's raised from the dead. And so all of his followers, his crucifixion takes on a totally new meaning. It's not defeat, but rather now it's, it's the climax of his work on earth. And so his opponents, listen here, follow me, the opponents, their opposition, which was grounded in their failure to see the, the hiddenness of the ministry of Jesus, their opposition leads to the eventual crucifixion of Jesus. And so hopefully you see a connection, right? The, the fact that they don't get it leads them to kill him. And so as one commentator says, the blindness and rejection of these scribes, of these Pharisees, of these on the outside, their blindness and rejection is all part of God's plan and is the means by which he accomplished his salvation purposes. There's purpose to the hiddenness. It's the hiddenness that leads Jesus to the cross. If Jesus isn't crucified by his enemies, there's no salvation. Do you realize that? Is that purposeful opposition? I'd say so. And so there's the lamp was hidden, okay, and, it, and it served its purpose. There's divine purposes behind the hiding, but that time of hiding accomplishes its purpose, and it's no longer needed. So I'd say after the death and resurrection of Christ, there's no longer a secret. There's no longer a need for this hiding. So the resurrection marked the end of the necessary secret. It's the resurrection that vindicates all that Jesus said and did. And so it makes clear, right, as that day is still coming, here, where Jesus says, listen carefully. It's hidden, and it's purposely hidden, but, but you can still hear. Listen. Verses 24 and 25, pay heed and hear the message. Those who acknowledge, those on the inside, who acknowledge the presence of God's kingdom, they are the ones who will benefit increasingly. So as they're following Jesus, they're going to keep hearing his teaching, and they're going to grow. They're going to be blessed by it. They, they put work into listening, and they bear fruit. And in verse 25, those on the outside, those who has not have not, what they have even will be taken. They'll have nothing to show for it because the, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus, falls on deaf ears, on, on unproductive soil. And so, just by way of, quickly by way of application, you see the, the, the secret nature of the work of Christ. It's not a secret anymore. Jesus has been risen. His purposes have been achieved. He's died according to the Scriptures, and He's risen according to the scriptures. And so just just by way of encouragement as followers, we we receive the message. That's that's part of what it means to be a Christian, to receive the message of of the the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we receive it, we believe it, but but we also proclaim it. We also proclaim Jesus was crucified and and buried, and he was really dead, and and God raised him from the dead, and and we have hope in a future because of it. So quickly, let's move on to, to point number three. Verses 26 through 34, we see a kingdom that grows. And so it's our last section. In these verses, Jesus continues teaching on, on the nature of the kingdom. And he does so by telling two, two more parables. And, 
And both of these parables are grouped together because it, it's, it's a focus on growth, on growth. And so he's comparing the kingdom to seed. So it's this agricultural uh, illustration continued. And so Jesus tells these final two parables to encourage his followers. So, so he's talking to, to his disciples, to his followers, and, and despite the hiddenness of the kingdom, right, he's just come off its hidden, and despite that, there, there's an, a certain and inevitable growth. It's going to grow. That's, for, that's story one. And although it may have begun insignificantly, its final manifestation will be immense. So he tells these two stories about the growth. So first, quickly, let's move through verses 26 through 29. So Jesus tells the story of a man scattering seed on the ground again. Again, it's a common scene. And so notice what he does there in verse 27. So he, he's scattering the seed Verse 27, he sleeps and he rises. He sleeps and he rises, night and day. So just this pattern, sleep, awake, sleep, awake. We, we assume he's doing his, his chores in the middle of that sleeping and arising. But, verse 28, behold, the, the seed sprouts and it grows. And this man that sowed the seed doesn't even know how it happens. It's doing it apart from him knowing how it happens or him contributing to it. The emphasis is on it's growing apart from this man's activity. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. And so Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. And so imagine if you're one of his followers, as you're listening, imagine how encouraged his followers would have been by their apparent insignificance, right? It's growing. It's growing. The, the sower doesn't even know how it's growing, but it's growing. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom's like. It would grow because God is the one who gives the growth. And so this is what the kingdom is like. Though it begins with the apparently insignificant action of sowing, though disciples are going to be going on and, and sowing the word and proclaiming this message, it's going to seem like it's, it's pretty futile, worthless. Though that, that's what it appears. Take heart, disciples, because the kingdom of God will finish with a great harvest. It's going to grow. And then he finishes, lastly, verses 30 through 34, with, again, a seed parable, a growth parable. And this one, you've probably all heard, this, the, he uses the example of the mustard seed. And so we've probably heard about the faith the size of the mustard seed. That's the context we hear, but there's no, there's no mention of faith here. This is simply that the, the mustard seed is used as an illustration. And the point is that this small seed grows large, small to large. Jesus isn't giving a lesson in botany, Okay, you'll, you'll read all kinds of people say, no, no, the orchid seed is smaller. Jesus was wrong. He says the smallest seed, wrong, Bible, worthless. It's all lies, right? That's, that's how the logic works. Well, Jesus, you have to read it proverbial. He's saying, though it's the smallest, it grows to be the biggest. He, he's, it's a small seed and it grows big. That's his point. We don't have to read into it. He's not teaching a science class. And so, how differently this kingdom, small, size of a mustard seed. One little man shows up on the scene, baptizes people, gains a following, and, and is just walking around. This Messiah comes, the, the kingdom begins in a small, gradual seed form, which is countercultural to what was expected. Our king is coming, thought the Jews, and he's going to overthrow Rome immediately. Big, big angels and armies, and, and we're going to defeat our oppressive rulers. That's not, what, that's not how the kingdom's coming, Jesus is saying. Disciples, don't, ex don't go get your swords. We've got a message. 
And so this, this kingdom work from small to great is the paradoxical work of the God of the universe bringing about his kingdom in his ways for his purposes. And so it's going to grow. And so Mark closes the section, verse 33 and 34. Notice the, the, the division that's still there. He spoke to them in parables. So that's big picture. Summary, he spoke to them in parables. But, verse 34, privately to his own disciples, to those who were following him, he explained everything. And so this division remains. His teachings continue to confirm the confusion of his opponents while he continued to explain everything to those who listened to his teachings. And so as I close, uh, the, the, one, the one closing application is simply to encourage you, believer, this morning, take heart. The kingdom has and continues to grow. The kingdom is growing. That's good news. Right? Especially in a culture when we feel like we're, we're losing ground. Don't you feel that? We're losing ground. Well, friends, we're not losing ground. The kingdom is growing. The church has always been the minority. Throughout the history of the church, we're an anomaly in America. We're just joining our brothers and sisters from ages past in that we're, we're, we might have to forego a little persecution. That's good news. We, we are part of a growing kingdom. And so I'm going to close with, with, this, with a quote from, from Strauss, Mark Strauss. And, and here's what he said. He said, when Jesus left this earth, he had a little more than a hundred followers, yet that mustard seed of a movement swept across the Mediterranean region and throughout the world, transforming the lives of millions and changing the course of human history. Christian, we are part of a growing kingdom, whether we realize it or not. It is growing. So take heart. Even when we don't see it, even if it isn't happening the way we might expect, all of history is moving towards the culmination of his kingdom coming and his rule being established on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.